Hello, and welcome to another fun-filled edition of the Tech Petition Podcast. My name is Kerry Brown, and I'm here with my brother Clarence. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, man. And as always, I am happy to be on another episode of the Tech Petition Podcast. How are you, sir? Oh, man, I'm great. I'm great. You know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I'm great. <laughs> Living life. Living life. Living life, man. Yeah. So. it's good, man. I guess we shall start the show. Would you we like shall. to would you like to do the honor, sir? Why not? Yeah, I will dig into a story that is very interesting, especially when you get into these monopolies and companies with a whole lot of power. So this first story is about Amazon and it reportedly accessing third party seller seller data to develop private label products. Now, if you're not an Amazon frequenter, uh, you may notice if you shop at somewhere like Walmart, you know, after a while you see some great value products <laughs> popping up in the place of your favorite products on end caps and getting all the attention and much cheaper price. So apparently Amazon, you know, they're kind of that monopoly equivalent as far as the Internet goes, as Walmart is to the brick and mortar. So and, and apparently Amazon has launched an internal investigation on this. But Amazon employees have access sales data from independent marketplace sellers to help develop their own private label products. Also known as Amazon Essentials. Yes. So basically, they're taking this data of how these products are selling and how people are gravitating to them and um, using that, among other things, to kind of, you know, uh, justify and, and, and put new products into development that they know are going to do pretty well, you know? <laughs> so I mean, so, this is probably going to surprise you, but it's hard for me to get upset about this. Like, mm. I don't really see what the big deal is, honestly. I mean, they're selling the stuff on Amazon's platform. Of course, they're going to have the data of how other things are selling um, because it's their store. I mean, it, Walmart does the same thing. You know, you think well, Walmart, you think Walmart takes pot shots with their great value stuff. They know what sells and what doesn't sell. And they're like, hey, maybe we should make a product. And the other thing I want to say about Walmart, I don't know about Amazon, but I know with Walmart, a lot of times they contract with the name brand to make the great value version, but it, okay. it's just sold cheaper. That um, makes sense. But I don't know about Amazon. They're probably not doing that because Jeff Bezos is a penny pincher. So I doubt he's trying to work with anybody. Yeah, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's that bad if you look at it as far as, you know, Walmart is concerned or even Amazon. But I think the huge issue with it is uh, transparency, uh, being forthright on what you're actually doing behind the scenes. Of course, they're the storefront. They're going to know the numbers. Yeah. But if they're But if they're saying they're not looking at them and then they really are, I think that's a big issue because they're just not being transparent on what they're doing. We know they're looking at them. Like, I don't even have to, I don't even have to ask that question. Okay. So, okay. Let me just play devil's advocate for a minute. I guess I kind of see the fine line here between looking at sale data and looking at like private data, but I don't know. I don't know what the, what, what are they actually seeing in this private data? Cause they already like, they can see what's selling and what isn't selling from their, like from their data, like I'm, 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 I'm curious. Maybe it's, yeah. I, they, I, I'm gonna need a little more information on this because, I mean, well, I, 
Hmm. I'm, I'm guess if, if you think of them as a storefront for other suppliers and kind of people run their full storefront or they possibly run their full storefront on Amazon. If the agreement says they they can't access their sales data, but it turns out they're looking at it in order to develop their own products, I think it's an issue. But don't now, they get I mean, a cut? They get a cut of everything the sales though. Like that's yeah. that's what I'm confused about. Like they already know this. They already know what's selling. Yeah. They, don't, they to, don't even need the third party data. To a certain extent, but okay, just look at it from a different angle. Look at it as Apple um and their app store. So and they've they've done this time and time and time again, and people get really upset. I mean, I don't know what's wrong or right, but they'll take something that's doing really well and they can either buy that company or they could create their own version of that. And they've done that before. So, I mean, I don't know. It's, 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 I agree with you that it's something that should probably be expected. If they're using somebody else's platform to sell goods, they're going to know the numbers. But if you know, it all depends on what the agreements are. If they're saying they're not doing something and they're doing it, we have an issue. Yeah, like I said, I mean, it kind of makes sense to me, but I mean, especially with like these these companies, you're paying like you're paying a commission to Amazon every time you sell something. Now, I do I do believe there's some kind of like higher tier where you pay like a set fee and then anything you sell on top of that is just yours. So maybe yeah. that's the data there cuz I I've sold some stuff on Amazon before, so maybe that's the data that they're talking about. Um, yeah. maybe, maybe if you pay like the, the, the professional or I don't know which the yeah. professional, like if you get a professional license for lack of a better term, I know it's not called a license, but if you get a professional Amazon account pro account, then maybe they don't take a cut of every sale and then you keep your data and then they, if that's the case, then yeah, they, they definitely cross the line. But if we're just talking about like third party sellers that are just, you know, putting stuff, sending stuff, like especially if you send your products to Amazon for them to ship. Like, I mean, there's so many ways for them to get this data that I don't know. It's hard for me to get upset about this. Okay, digging into the Verge article a little bit more and we can we can move on. But (laughs) they're saying that, um, however, we strictly prohibit our employees from using non-public seller specific data. Mm-hmm. to determine which private label product to launch. While we don't believe these claims are accurate, we take these allegations very seriously. So basically they're just saying that I think they're, they should be, or they are able to look at the data on the aggregate level, but looking at a particular uh, company is something there, I guess is against their terms of service. So seller specific data is not allowed, but I think they have, they're supposed to be able to see the aggregate data, which makes sense because that's how their algorithms work. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, I, I guess I can know. see that. I, 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 yeah, I mean, especially like you said, if it's in their license agreement, then it, everything I just said is null and void. <laughs> so, yeah, I get, I got you, I got you. And they also testified to Congress that they don't access sales oh. data from sellers that make private that makes his brands private. So, but see, like the letter of the law, like they don't actually sell data from sellers. Um. So yeah, I mean, maybe these people. I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, mean, I wouldn't put anything past Bezos. And and again, like part of their justification. I'm not gonna say justification, but part of the reason they exist without so much government intervention is because they allow people to use their storefront. I mean, they're the biggest yeah. online sales company. Period right yep. now mm-hmm. 
Uh, so, I mean, yeah, you, there are rules in place to keep their monopoly at bay as any huge company. Uh, you have these rules in place. And when they're skirting the rules, you have to kind of put the clamps down on them. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of corporations um, taking matters into their own hands, uh, so the new MacBooks and Macs period, I guess, that are coming out starting in 2021, Apple will be pro- producing their own chip. So this may or may not come as a surprise because they're already make, designing their own ARM chips for their um, iPads and for their phones. But yeah. they're in, they're going to drop Intel basically and move to ARM for their their desktop and laptop products, which in some ways may be a little bit surprising. But in other ways, ARM is really caught up to uh, Intel and AMD, at least as far as like a desktop on a desktop publishing level. Do people even call it desktop publishing anymore? <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, like, I guess <laughs> from, from a from a workstation level, like I feel like they've caught up i mean you can buy a raspberry pi which runs on an arm processor and you can pretty much run a desktop off it i have a pi 4 um it's got four i think it's got four gigabytes of ram in it um and it's a beast man like i could yeah i could run the desktop computer on it um they've even customized versions of linux on it to like look like windows even though you know that's kind of a thing that's been ongoing for the last 20 years. But anyway, I digress. So, yeah, um, they're going to be designing a new ARM-based processor to replace Intel. It's going to be based on the iPhone chip designs. It's going to be a gradual transition. It's going to start with, like, the less powerful stuff, maybe like the MacBook Air. Um, but there's kind of, like, there's a couple different facets to this that I find interesting. Um, if you allow me to, like, nerd out for a second. <laughs> oh, go for it, man. I'm all ears. Okay, so... Like, I don't know how much you've been keeping up with, like, desktop uh, CPU performance, but um, AMD has really, you know, I've talked about this before. AMD has, like, pretty much at this point, they're neck and neck with Intel as far as performance. They've caught up in, in a lot of ways. They have exceeded Intel's desktop performance using less power consumption, um, and th- their CPUs generally have more cores for the same price. Just to give you an example, um, I believe I paid 500 bucks for my 9900KS special edition CPU um for I think 450 Okay so the 9900KS is 8 core 16 threads for about $450 on the AMD side you can get a um what is it the Ryzen 3900X if yeah my memory serves correctly Ryzen 3900X 16 cores, nope, I take it back, 12 cores, 24 threads, and I would say within 90% of the 9900KS's, like, single um, core performance, um, the reason, uh, I, the reason okay. I went with the 9900KS is because it, it has the best performance for gaming still. Um, now, when the new Ryzen CPUs come out in, like, August, I believe, is when they're going to come out. I think like August, um, they're they're probably going to surpass Intel like core count and a uh, single core performance, um, and like a lot of other companies are taking note of this. Um, if you've I don't know like ASUS and a lot of other like C, like laptop companies now they're coming out with these Ryzen four thousand mobile CPU um, laptops that are like way cheaper than the Intel ones and blow them out of the water in performance. Yeah. 
um, and and they're kind of taking things over. And there was a rumor for a while that Apple was going to switch to Ryzen, switch to AMD. But I believe they've kind of decided to go their own way, which makes sense. Why pay somebody? I mean, you know, they're already making their own chips or at least designing them. So, yeah. like, why wouldn't they do this for their own, you know, processors? They've done it before with the PowerPC stuff, which was, I think, yep. actually designed by... Intel. I believe the IBM. I believe PowerPC was designed by IBM, but you know they they use their own kind of custom chip before, and they're kind of going back to that, which makes more sense. I mean, why pay Intel royalties when you don't have to? Um, yeah. And this is going to be based on five nanometer, okay? Which is also yeah. interesting because right now AMD's at seven nanometer, uh, Intel is stuck at fourteen. Like they're trying to do some ten nanometer stuff, but the yields basically. Basically, yields. What that means, if you're not familiar, is when um, when CPU manufacturers when they create processors, they basically take a huge silicon wafer and they print their print for lack of a better term. They manufacture their CPUs on this huge wafer, and then they you know then they cut the wafer, you know, to divide all the individual CPUs. Um, and basically a yield is how many good CPUs you get off of a wafer, just to simplify things. And, um, they're not getting really good yields. So with the 10 nanometer stuff, that's why they've been stuck. They've been stuck at 14 nanometer. I feel like it's been like eight years now. It's been a minute. And, um, I mean, that's another reason why they've come out with their new, their new 10 series, um, 10th generation Intel CPUs. They're still 14 nanometer. And they are power. They've cranked up the power consumption on them to try to keep up with AMD stuff. And like some of these CPUs are pulling as much power as like a 2080 Ti graphics card. Like it's just ridiculous how much power they're pulling. They're not really coming recommended. So I can understand Apple not wanting to use those, especially probably their bread and butter's laptops. Anyway, so you don't want a CPU that's going to be bad on power consumption. And having that five nanometer. Um, process is gonna you know cut down on power consumption significantly, and they're gonna save money, and they won't have to pay anybody royalties. Um, yeah. I feel like it makes total sense. I mean, the only thing is if the performance is there, but even that's kind of a you know catch twenty two thing because Macs don't generally perform that well. You know, as c- compared to equal price PCs they don't perform as well because they're they they've got the Apple tech slapped on top of them. So, I mean, I don't think they're really going to miss out that much. And um, another thing is the iPhone yeah. the iPhone and the iPad CPUs are actually pretty dang good. You know, they they've done a good job on those. So, you know, I, I think yeah, it's I mean, a good move for them. I mean, I I don't doubt them from their processor development point of view. We've definitely seen from their iPhones over the last uh 10 some odd years that they've been able to craft their own processors and they've been pretty freaking good every year. They're getting better and better. My issue is software support for, I mean, undoubtedly their own apps are going to run uh, fantastically well (laughs) with their new processor, but third party development on the Mac, it is going to be a transition. It's going to be a transition. Well, I mean, go ahead. (laughs) Only only thing I'll say about that is I'm assuming that they've got like you'll probably just have to recompile your application in Xcode or something. I would assume. 
Um, they're, they're probably going to have some type of a uh, uh, virtualization layer or some some type of layer where these old older programs will run. Uh, and I will say Mac adoption or Apple adoption of the next format or the next iteration is fairly fast compared to other compared to Windows. Yeah, because you know? they draw the line in the sand, and if you don't upgrade, you just you just get left behind. You don't get the new thing. And well, even. Yeah, even well, even from the developers' point of view, they're quick. They're quick to adopt the latest new thing, especially on the phone side. I don't know how it is on the on the actual desktop PC side, but yeah. def, definitely on the Apple phone side, they're quick to adopt the new and the latest and the greatest as far as upgrading their software, making tweaks for the new enhancements in the operating system. On the desktop side, I don't know if that's going to be as true. It's going to take and a while, in my I don't, opinion. I don't think it is, though. I don't think it is. Because if you think about where Mac OS is right now, they have done a lot, and I mean a lot, to integrate, like, the Apple iPhone. You know, it's not, you know, it's the it's just the App Store now. And the App Store is everywhere. Yeah. It's on Macs. It's on iPads. It's on iPhones. And it's the same store. So, like, you know, I feel like, it won't be as big of a transition as we, maybe we think it will be because I feel like a lot of these apps are already compatible. You know, like they may mm-hmm. have to get recompiled or rebuilt for the desktop version, but I think there it's, I mean, as long as it's still using the same code base and there's like nothing crazy that you have to do. And, you know, like going from like PowerPC to x86, you pretty much have to re-architecture that entire application. Um, but I don't, I, I don't think it's going to be quite that, that crazy uh, man i don't know x60 x64 to arm uh i'm just i'm just comp- <sighs> making my comparison to the stuff i've seen from the microsoft side but even with microsoft they, there's they, a ARM, they, they, there's an arm version of windows 10 if it's not it out, is. it's coming out so like well I, okay well, well let, me, let me back up yes there's one to come out windows x windows 10 x is the new one that they're doing but remember uh, when Windows 8 came out, they had a version that was for ARM, and they've had versions for ARM over the last five years that have not taken off. Why? Because all apps don't work. Now, again, Microsoft is a little different. You have a an entrenched software base of people who are reluctant to upgrade because their enterprises, their schools, their big companies, they're reluctant to upgrade. On the Mac side, it's a little bit different. They're quicker to adopt. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like, you know, there are definitely challenges. I'm not trying to say that it's going to be like a painless transfer. I just, I don't think it's going to be that crazy. Number one, you know, cause they've done it before. I mean, they've yeah, done it. True. They did it. And I mean, even when they moved from OS nine to OS 10, there was like a compatibility layer for OS nine, but mm. like Apple wasn't really like, they weren't supporting it. Like, you know, they were strongly suggesting for all of the devs to move to OS 10, to move to Xcode or whatever the, whatever the uh, IDE was. I'm pretty sure it was still Xcode back then. But, um, you know, I, it's going to be challenging for them. But I feel like in the long run, it's it's a short term like setback for a long term gain. And I, and I also feel like, you know, their, their unified ecosystem is really yeah. going to like it's going to make this a little easier. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and I agree with you, man. I'm just playing. <laughs> they they definitely have made steps, especially I'm thinking of the last three or four years where they've been slowly itching inching their um their iPad closer to a desktop, mm-hmm. and their desktop OS 
by like you said by having the app store and things like that on a desktop inching it closer toward the ipad to maybe somewhere in the next three or four years they'll meet in the middle so i i totally agree with you on that yeah and the app store's huge for them so you know i yeah the, if anybody can do it it's them so dead horses beat to death <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, good discussion, man. I thought I thought it was kind of a cool thing though, because I mean, you know, it's just I love stuff like that. So yeah. Oh yeah. Well, let's go to something that's very very lighthearted, and it's going to be well. I don't know. I haven't seen the series. Maybe it's not lighthearted. Uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender. You Airbender. haven't seen the Avatar: The Last Airbender. I, it it is uh, on my uh, bucket list of shame. That I've not seen what. So yeah, I'm, I've seen some episodes here or there, but yeah, I know enough about it to know what it is and know some of the main characters. I saw the actual movie that uh, Night, oh god, Night that movie Night was Shana awful. Did. Yeah, I went to the movie to see that. It was horrible. But, <laughs> I think horrible. we might have went. We t- did we take Jordan or somebody to it? Yeah, I think we took Jalen and Jordan to it and <laughs> apologized to them after. <laughs> I was like, sorry, but, dudes. <laughs> but yeah, I have never watched this acclaimed Nickelodeon series, and I'm excited that it will be on Netflix on May the 15th. Yes. So so, um, so are they going to be doing Legend of Korra as well? I don't. I think Legend of Korra is already on. Oh, it's already on there? On, okay. It, well, no, no. It's, it's, it's on uh, Amazon right now. Okay. It's on Amazon for free. And I haven't watched it because I want to watch this first. So yeah. I mean, the cool thing that like those two series, like the last airbender to me is it's, it's a good like mix between like the things that make like American cartoons and writing good. And it also has a lot of the motifs and elements of like anime. So it's like a really, really neat convergence. And then like court legend of core just hits it out of the park. Like it, oh, wow. not just, not just like the, the style, like they have like really, cool fight sequence like to me the fight sequences and stuff are way better the animation is way better in legend of Korra, even though you know this is like after well of course you know the new avatar happens when the old one dies so like obviously yeah. ang is not on this show except for like as a spirit so um it's really cool kind of seeing that world like after after the stuff that happened in the story and <laughs> after like those characters are old now. The ones that are still alive are old. It's just really cool. It's really cool and nostalgic. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, man. Um, I'm I'm anxious because multiple people. I've heard people talk about it for years or how good it is. So, you know, I'm a little ashamed that I haven't seen it, but I will be tuning in once it's on Netflix. Oh, I just dropped my phone. Yeah, it's gonna be great, man. Definitely check it out. Hilarious show. Not just. Not just cool action wise, that it has some like the fun, the writing in it, especially in the last Airbender. It's great, so yeah, awesome sauce. Um, let's see here. Moving on, you want to talk talk rumors? Yeah, <laughs> dangerous, rumors. dangerous, and irresponsible rumors is what oh, you know. But warning, so juicy. <laughs> warning. Okay, so let me get my dates right here. Um. February 22nd, um, the official Japanese Sega Twitter account, like they tweeted a bunch of photos inside Microsoft Studios in Japan. They didn't release mm. like any other details. They were just, hey, we're in Microsoft's office. Here's some pictures. So um, immediately, immediately, um, 
rumors started to fly. If you you may or may not remember, like in the early two thousands, Microsoft when they before they created the Xbox, they actually considered buying Sega. And um, no, I did not you, know they using, considered buying using Sega to like jumpstart their console bid. But um, for some reason, I don't know, he, like. There, there are different rumors, but like for some reason they didn't end up buying Sega. They ended up just kind of building their own thing from the ground up, and um, you know, obviously it worked out for them. But um, you know, this meeting kind of started stirring that up again. Like, could Sega possibly be looking to merge with Microsoft? Oh yeah, there was also this other thing where they there's like this teaser about this big announcement in June. Which obviously is when E three is. Really? Um, I, I I have to dig that article up as well, but um, you know, this just got me to thinking. Would 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 Microsoft buying Sega? Would that really like? How would that help them? Um, I can think of one 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 way it would help them right off the bat, and I'm not talking about Sonic. I'm actually not talking about any like traditional Sega properties. Sega owns Atlas and Atlas makes Persona. Persona is like one of the premier JRPGs now because there aren't too many traditional ones. You have Dragon Quest 11, which is still, you know, holding it down. Final Fantasy has kind of moved into like some weird action thing. It's it's <laughs> like, I don't even consider it an RPG anymore. Yeah. Um, but like Persona 5 is like the modern JRPG. I'm playing through Persona 5 Royal. This is a game, Persona 5, the original one. I put like a 120 hours into the first game and I'm playing basically playing the game over again for like 20 more hours of gameplay. I had so much fun with it. It's amazing. And um, a lot of people that have PlayStations feel the way I do because this game sells like gangbusters and it's only on PlayStation. So they would basically mm-hmm. be stealing Persona away from uh, Microsoft, but you also have like Bayonetta, obviously Sonic, um, Shinmu, I believe is still owned by Sega, and the last one was released only on PlayStation. It's, there's there's a bunch of different properties. I'll have to pull up the list that you know even old properties that they could jumpstart again. Like I believe Sega owns Streets of Rage. Like there are yeah. all these old like franchises that they could bring back. You know, possibly Yakuza is another one that I didn't think about, which is yeah. sort of popular. It's kind of like a Japanese version of Grand Theft Auto, for lack of a better way of explaining it. Um, so I feel like if this happened, it would really help uh, Microsoft in an exclusive department because but- I don't think you can buy another third party developer that has as big of a library of strong like franchises as Sega. But you know what? I. When you talk about Persona, I wouldn't think Microsoft would take that off of the PlayStation because it seems like usually when they buy a studio that already has stuff on everything, they don't close it in. They keep it open so far. That's a good point. That's a good point. But definitely for anything new coming out, um, if they're, you know, taking any of these franchises you just mentioned, uh, especially at the the tentpole Sonic and redoing something for the next generation, it could it could really be freaking huge. And we know that Phil Spencer is on a freaking tear yeah. to buy up studios <laughs> that are uh, you know studios that are doing pretty good, but may 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 need a little capital boost, <laughs> a little money boost injection. He is definitely on a tear buying up these studios, and 
I think Sony, uh, Sega, excuse me, is primed to be purchased. I really think they are. They have been for years for that matter. Mm-hmm. So it, this could be really interesting. Yeah, man. There's just so many like cool, quirky, interesting, like new IPs that they could come out with. Um, and, you know, other games you may not think about, like being owned by Sega, uh, Warhammer 40K Dawn of War and Company of Heroes is developed by Relic Entertainment, which is owned by Sega. Um, wow. Let me see what else. So oh, we have Sega Rally, Sega yeah. GT. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. They got a lot of stuff. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And you have the Shinobi series, which there was a PS2 Shinobi game that I thought was amazing. Um, there's that. Total War, Company of Heroes. There's Space Channel 5. Virtual Fighter. They could do some Virtual kind Cop. of. Yeah, they could do something kind of VR with Virtual Cop or Space Channel 5 or. Um, you know, there's virtual own would also make a really good VR game. Oh, yeah. Um, Panzer Dragoon, oh, Fantasy yeah. Star. Actually, Fantasy Star Online 2 is going to be exclusive to the Microsoft Store. So that's one thing that they already have in place. Um, House of the Dead. Dude, they could bring House of the Dead back. Um, yeah. There's a bunch of different things they could do. I mean, obviously, all these series, like half the stuff I caught out, some of our listeners probably never even heard of. But, like, I grew up on Sega. I had a Genesis. We had the Saturn. We had the Dreamcast. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I, and, and, like, I'll just add to it. Also, give them may give them a certain amount of respect in, in Japan. Uh, something that... Yeah. Um, that's been kind of hard for... Uh, a market that's been hard for uh, Microsoft to crack. Yeah. So... They've tried hard they, to break into Japan and just never have been able to do it. Yeah. Interesting stuff, man. I can always dream. It's probably not going to happen, but it's fun. It's <laughs> fun to <Vipers>. think. <laughs> it's fun to think about. <laughs> Fighting Vipers, Last Bronx, dude. The Saturn had a bunch of like really cool, interesting 3D fighters. Um, there was Fighters Mega Mix, which had the the Fighting Vipers and Virtual Fighter, and there was I think there was one more. They were just all in this huge game with a bunch of characters. Um, oh man, that brings back memories. <laughs> I actually have my Saturn set up. My Saturn, my Dreamcast. Does it uh, run? <laughs> yeah, it still runs. I bought this thing called what? an Action Replay. Um, the, what it's meant for is so you can play uh, import games. But I actually hacked the firmware on it, and you can play backups with it. So uh-huh. there's there's certain games like um, that I've always wanted to play, like Panzer Dragoon Saga, and I don't feel bad about this. There's a, there's a game called Panzer Dragoon Saga. It's an role playing game version of Panzer Dragoon, which was kind of an unreal shooter. They made a role-playing game. It was one of the most acclaimed role-playing games of, like, the late 90s. Like, people were putting it on par with Final Fantasy VII. Um, oh, that, wow. That's how acclaimed it was. But um, it's hard to find a copy now. Like, opened, opened, used copies of this game, given in mint condition, but open used copies of this game are selling on eBay for, like, $1,500. Good. Like, Lord. sealed copies are, like, two grand, just because of the rarity. Like... You know, wow. I wish I would have bought it when it was just a hundred, and I thought that was ridiculous. Looking back, um, it would have been a good <laughs> investment. But um, yeah, I, I can just play the backups and stuff. Um, and you know, like live in nostalgia land. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sue me, Sega. Okay. Um, what else do we have? Uh, we have a story about Call of Duty Warzone. <laughs> which- <laughs> You want to yeah, talk? I, 
Yeah, I'll, I'll tee it up. I, I read some of the introduction. I know it's your story. But um, so Call of Duty Warzone is putting methods, things in place to keep cheaters at bay. So I just glanced at the description here. So apparently on the next update of Call of Duty uh, Warzone, they're going to put cheaters on their own, their own island with other cheaters. <laughs> a a a a some type of H E double hockey stick you would not want to be on. So <laughs> something interesting to keep cheaters at bay. What, what do you think about this method here? Yeah, I mean, there's two facets to this. I believe the first one is <clears throat> in China. I at least didn't know when I played um player player unknown battlegrounds a lot PUBG. When I played that a lot, there were a lot of Chinese hackers on this game, and I don't. I'm not saying that as like a generalization, like. There were a lot. And China mm-hmm. just came out with this um, law or ruling or whatever you want to call it, decree, where um, all Chinese games, um, you can't you can't play online with people outside of China. What? So I feel like that's going to help with this a lot <laughs> because you, you won't have all those people hacking. Um, but people are still going to cheat outside of China. I'm not naive about that. They're still going to be cheaters. So... The cool thing about this is instead of banning these people and then like starting up a new account, they're just going to match, make them all together so they can just cheat on each other. And I think that's wonderful and it's ingenious. And, you know, I hope that that will um, help. I actually like that, too, because uh, why should I stop taking your money because you're cheating? Well, I guess this is a game you don't pay pay to play. So but still, you know, if if you can make a safer place for people who are willing to play by the rules and in turn put all the cheaters in one side who are probably you know i don't know if they're not paying for mods or whatever but you know put them put them in their own little world and if it is a pay to play type game you know it'll be interesting to just keep taking their money and have them still play against each other copy come on (laughs) yeah 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 so i mean i think it's it's uh you know fair retribution interesting approach Interesting approach. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, does that follow you from game to game, or do you get a reset when you start the next game? Does it follow your profile? <laughs> nah, that's a good question. That would suck. That would really suck. Cool. Um, do we have anything else? Uh, you have a story about a Motorola Edge. The Samsung Killer. I can mm. see you rolling your eyes, and I'm. We're not yeah. even using video. I, I can see you rolling <laughs> your eyes, man. We have the Galaxy Faithful here. Um. Okay, so just bear with me for a minute. The new Motorola Edge Plus flagship camera phone delivers 108 megapixel images, 6K video, and 5G speed. Now I know there's a Galaxy S20. 5g now so that's not really that big a whoop but 108 megapixels 6k video you know this is interesting but at the same time you know red came out with a camera phone red is like one of the most respected like film uh equipment manufacturers or producers and they touted this phone as like the ultimate video picture phone and it looked like a brick and it was quite ugly. It sold like um the opposite of gangbusters. And <laughs> you know, so specs aren't everything, obviously. But Motorola is a better known name in the phone space. Um 
And um, it's, I don't know. It's interesting that they're um trying to do a flagship because, you know, lately Motorola's kind of been like a mid-range to like low-end phone producer. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I guess they kind of got back into it with the new Razer. I don't even know if the new Razer's out yet, though. But um, they're, they are coming out with a new Razer to kind of compete with the Samsung flip phone. Um, so it, it, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know. A lot of things I've heard on, uh, phones that have these high megapixels, they end up having a bigger sensor to get those high megapixel steals. Mm-hmm. And I've heard that, and I've seen some pictures actually. So they said a lot of these pictures have fringing around the edge. So like if you take a close-up picture on a subject, they'll be fringing around the outside of the picture because the sensor is just so big, packed in that phone. Yeah. Now, um, I do think there is a distinct advantage to having a high megapixel camera, but the thing is, um, how do the pictures look? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's all about the cameras. Megapixel is just kind of a jargon buzzword. What really yeah. matters most is the sensor that they're using in the lens. Like that matters way more than the amount of megapixels. If, if it's a lot of megapixels on a crappy sensor, then it's not really going to matter. Um, so. Yeah. And and then not only that, it has a lot to do with the uh, computational photography within the camera itself as well. Uh, iPhone has some of the best as well as the pixel uh, has some of the best uh, computational photography. Once they take the picture, they can do things to it to make it look even better. So, Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if Motorola has that nut cracked, <laughs> but but definitely it's interesting to see uh, these high megapixel phones. I remember back in the day, wasn't it the uh, Nokia? Uh, it was one of those Windows phones. It was a Nokia something. I can't remember what the Lumia, the high end mm-hmm. Lumia. I know what you're talking about. It had yeah, it had like a flash, like a camera. It looked like it looked like the the front of a camera, basically. The back of it looked like a front of a camera. It was a Lumia. Lumia? I can't remember the buzzword name, but was it but but it was only like twenty something. Yeah, I think it's probably better than nine fifty. But it was only like twenty something megapixels at the time. But I think the thing is that um, they were actually ridiculed because of the big bump on the back. And fast forward to twenty twenty, what do we have on every camera that exists right now? Yeah, the a triple huge, triple lens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was and actually ten fifty. Actually, oh, the ten fifty. That's right. I will say, at least on this Motorola, it looks pretty elegant. Um, yeah, the, the camera bump. So hey, who knows? Yeah, I just missed the fingerprint sensor. It doesn't look like they have it anymore yeah. either. Rest in peace, old friend. <laughs> womp, womp, womp. So, um, I guess we're through those stories. Any parting words? Any any plugs? Anything you want to mention? Oh, yeah. My parting gifts for this episode will be to go to my Discussing Trek Patreon. And no, I'm not asking for your money right now. We're actually running running a contest on our Discussing Trek Patreon. So it's patreon.com slash Discussing Trek. And we have an image, a Doctor Who slash Star Trek image, crossover image, that whoever can give the best caption has a chance to win a Star Trek Discovery Season 2 Blu-ray as well as a one twenty five hundred scale Star Trek Discovery model. So go over there and check it out. Cost nothing to enter. Best caption for the image wins. Go check it out. Man, I just want to say, man, that's a hilarious image. 
that she has pics. <laughs> it's pretty freaking funny. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so... What about you, man? Um, I don't really have any plugs. Uh, just, uh, you know, uh, join us next week for another wonderful edition of Techpedition. Um, that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. We'll see, you, we'll see you next week. Have a good one. Hey guys, it's Sergio from Reality Breached. We've got a bunch of different podcasts over on our network at realitybreached.com, and one of my favorites is Shellheads, a TMNT podcast. Shellheads is a deep dive into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in ways you've never heard before. From the early comic days to the current Nick show, nothing is off limits. Jeff from the Warp Zone Arcade joins me to binge watch and power read through a comprehensive library of TMNT fandom. Check Shellheads out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For more details, visit realitybreached.com.